0: Time so he finally shows up. Oh well, that's the way we're gonna (laughs) start. Coming out hot. (laughs) Coming out real hot. Well, that's the way we're gonna start. I'm sorry, Jesse. Jesse Parent is our guest, and uh, uh, Jesse was supposed (laughs) to be here last week, but had some lame ass excuse (laughs) about oh my clock was set on Pacific time. Why now? Let me ask you this, Mr. Parent. And oh, by the way, uh, this is the uh, Let's Go Eat show, and we're at the Daily 222 South Main um and you're and you're not eating right
1: i i'm not i just sat down from getting back uh from the restroom and washing my hands from uh the coronavirus and stuff good and making sure that i am a responsible and hygienic guest
0: good
2: now would would you like a drink i'm sorry to interrupt I would, I would love a uh, lemonade of some sort. I will be right back.
0: Now, is his microphone loud enough, Dick? Because it doesn't sound loud enough to me. Let's hear Let's I do mean, that while the... It, his volume seems rather low to me. Hit me one more time, uh, Jesse.
2: Okay,
1: I'm just going to talk for a second. I, my favorite things to do are count to ten. Like that one, two, that three. seems better.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that seems better. Perfect. I was just watching the meter, too, and he seemed a little lower than the rest of us. He did. Well, and, and you know me, I'll overpower everything. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, uh, Mr. Parent said he was uh, he was supposed to be here last week, but then he gave a lame-ass excuse of his. He'd been working on the West Coast, and he had changed his phone, but to Pacific Time.
1: Yeah, my, Actually, my phone did that for me because they wanted to take care of me and said, Hey, you're in the Pacific. You should use this clock. And I said, Oh, boy, I get to meet with my friend Bill, who I love. And I set it to uh, the noontime, and then when I got back, didn't check, and well, it it's went Well,
0: it's supposed to automatically switch back, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it did switch back, and it switched back to 1 o'clock. And so when I looked at my reminder, I said, oh, oh, but... De-
0: oh. I see. I get, Okay, you're forgiven. I appreciate you that. that I thank it. you, Reverend Bill. Sure, no problem. Now, uh, the reason Jesse Parent is on the show uh, is... Uh, I've, I know Jesse socially, but um, Jesse is also a... I would say, well-known in circles, uh, poet. And is it proper to refer to you as a slam poet?
1: Yeah, or a performance poet. A performance I, I, poet. Yeah, I always like to say in very, very small circles, I'm very famous. Uh,
0: yeah. That's the thing with poetry. It's, you can be really famous and nobody knows yeah, you. Yeah. And uh, performance poetry, and I, you know, I knew this about you before I ever actually heard you do any performance poetry. And then when I heard you do it, uh, I, oh, I can see why he's well known. Um, you do that exceptionally well. So well, thank you. why well, first of all, explain to people what performance or slam poetry is, and why did they, why did they call it slam poetry?
1: Uh, Slam poetry is just a way to dress up or uh, make Americanized the act of competing in poetry. It's like a big forensics debate, except there's a lot of pageantry to it. We try to go out and get judges who have no idea what poetry is. And that's a bit of giving back to the people, taking it out of academia and saying, look, this has to be accessible and appealing to you and it can't be boring. And so there's a time limit. If you go over that time limit, you're penalized because you only have so much of an attention span to, meet up with that and if you suck well then you don't get to advance and, be- and whether or not you suck is based on the opinion of the audience and the judges that we picked at random the idea behind slam poetry is to try to make it so that poetry actually sounds good that it performs well and sometimes there's a visual element to it uh, but mostly there is a vocal element
0: what do um uh, uh, let's say legitimate poets mm. Think of slam poetry.
1: Uh, you know, it, it kind of varies. I I found that some some of the typical oh, there's a stereotypical uh, break between your page poet and your performance poet, but I don't think that's actually true anymore. Mm. I think a lot of the poets in academia are recognizing the appeal and accessibility, also the craft that comes in being able to do it for uh, do performance poetry. And poetry is meant to be a sonic medium
0: anyway. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I. Uh, I'll give you this example. I live, uh, well, I, I live next door to a poet, published poet, and she has and she's very well known. Except, I mean, you know, not really, yep. uh, but she's published. She has several books of poetry that have been published. Uh, she goes on national tours occasionally, uh, and and reads her poems around the country to various small gatherings. Yes, I would imagine very
1: small circle. She's uh, very famous.
0: Yeah, and she's written and, and she writes beautifully she has she writes beautiful poems uh, uh, she wrote one actually she wrote one for my wife your who is a good friend of yours yep. jenny uh, she wrote a poem for for my wife because we've lived next door to her for years and years and anyway they're they're close friends so uh, the point being so she's a really uh, known in poetry circles and she's published and and one time i said to her um, hey i heard this billy collins guy uh, on on the uh on the radio, Billy Collins, and he—I think he was the poet emeritus of America at yeah, one poet point. Yeah, poet laureate. Yep. Yeah, poet laureate. I mean, and um, and he reads his poems, and I thought, and I said, they're they're quite charming and clever. And uh, what do you think of him as a poet? And she said, "Well, he's okay, not much, really. Yeah, not much."
1: Yeah, that—I mean—that's interesting because Billy Collins is a huge influence for me. Uh, he has a great quote about poetry that I use a lot. It is that poetry should be an eye chart that everyone should get the E. If you squint, you ought to be able to read a few more letters. And I, and I really think that that's, that appeals to your accessibility, but it mm-hmm. also appeals to your layering. You can't just make something that is shallow. You have to be able to say, if on inspection, I can get more out of it and more out of it as I start to delve into yeah. this. And, you know, and a lot of people don't like Billy Collins for that. They don't like his accessibility. They don't like his general appeal. Uh, but at the same time, you know, Billy Collins was the poet laureate of the United States. So take that.
0: And he's, and he's made a ton of dough. Uh, doing, uh, being Billy Collins, yeah. which is pretty rare for a poet to make any money. I mean, I dare say Billy Collins made more money than my neighbor. Uh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think you were probably going to have a good bet on that one. Uh, yeah, and Billy Collins is also a big hero of one of my heroes, Taylor Molly, who is one of the penultimate, uh, or ultimate, uh, I should say, uh, slam poets out there, especially during the 90s. He was a huge influence on a lot of young poets, especially because of the documentary Slam Nation and he showed how you could be very accessible, very clever, and, and sometimes he's deep and sometimes he's not.
0: Mm-hmm, um, and I find and I, the, the stuff I've heard that Billy Collins do, it's, it's, it's very, it is very accessible. It's really simple, m- most of it. It's, mm-hmm. There's not a lot below the surface. It's all right there.
1: And I, th- I think if you probably pulled it apart, you might find something. But it, again, I think any art is up to the observer. And it becomes, if you try to hold on to it too much as the author and say, no, no, that's not what I meant, It's it, that's fine. But once you release it into the world, it is the world. And you have to allow people to take their own inspiration and their own inspection in the, into it.
0: I suppose uh, slam poetry, uh, actually, or performance poetry, it probably comes even going further back to the beat poets uh, in the 50s and 60s. And I was uh, reminded because, you know, and there's that stereotypical, there's (laughs) bongos and people are snapping their fingers, you know. But I was reminded of that uh, just recently. My my daughter uh, has to write a poem for uh, school. And she I don't want to do this. Now, she's this bright kid, and she likes to read, and she writes herself, but she doesn't write poetry. I don't want to do this. I don't know how to write poetry. I don't know anything about poetry. I don't know what it is. I don't want to. I love poetry. And I, start, I said, well, let's see if we can make this accessible for you. And I remembered I had some... Uh, uh, collections of, uh, per- particularly Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Oh yeah. R- old, uh, I think he's still alive. But a old beat poet started the City Lights Bookstore in San Francisco, and um, I remembered some of his poems and I got them out and I and I started reading them to her, uh, and one I can even quote. Uh, it's um, it's called Johnny Nolan I think. Johnny Nolan has a patch on his ass. Kids chase him. Through all the screen door summers of my memory, somewhere a baby cries like a ball bounce down steps. Johnny Nolan has a patch on his ass, kids chase him. That's not exactly how it goes. No, but, but, you know, it's, and so, and so she, she went, oh, and then I read her another one. Yeah the dog trots freely through the streets and they're very vocal and stuff and i said now just sit down and start writing words and mm. things she had a topic and uh, which was way too broad modern culture uh, R- yeah. d- write a poem about modern culture mm-hmm. i don't know how to do that it's too there's I'm, it's not specific and i said well that frees you up though doesn't it, it can do anything but uh, anyway, uh, just so I have a, a fondness for poetry, and I think it should be read out loud most of it, most of the time.
1: Yeah, there's there like I said, there's a lot of sonic value to it. There's rhythm. There's the the assonance, the consonance that goes into it, and it can be a lot of fun mm-hmm. to read poetry. I mean, there's there's stuff that can really wear on you, like you know, Furling Getty had. Uh, Ginsburg as a compatriot, and you know, going into Howl, which is a mm-hmm. marathon-length uh, performance poem that's, that can be pretty trying, but yep. you can still get a lot out of it. I,
0: I love, I really like Howl, uh, although, and I and I, Ginsberg is a favorite of mine as well, although he can be kind of overbearingly pretentious <laughs> at times. Uh, but uh, but I, Howl, I quite like, uh, but it is it's too much for a lot of people. This. Uh, a uh, woman I know said, Well, I hear this big about about howell all the time. It's such a big deal and I've never read it and I said I gave her a copy of it and this was just recently. I said, Here, take this home and read it and she came back and said, I didn't care for that <laughs> <laughs> And I said, Why? You know, you're a literate person and she said, I think I'm just too old and I oh, said, what? Wow. and she said, It's just too it was just too too crude for me interesting and there is a lot of you know pretty stark and she said i read it i read the whole thing but
2: have you guys been to the beatnik museum in san francisco by chance i haven't i've been
0: to city lights bookstore i mean
2: it's really cool like Mm. they they have the entire howl poem like on the walls like as you walk through you're reading Mm. how i mean all the kerouac on the road stuff i mean like it's really cool um if you're ever in san francisco i I suggest The
0: beatniks, uh, sort of. So anyway, the birth of slam poetry, perhaps.
1: Yeah, well, indeed. In fact, you know, it even goes back farther if you think about it to the, the Greeks. I mean, all performance mm-hmm. ultimately gets into this. We, we try to make it like this is some kind of amazing American white person invention, but it's been around for millennia, mm-hmm. and it's important to recognize those roots. I think there, there was actually a pretty big revolution pretty recently in the slam movement uh, against the founder, quote unquote, of Poetry Slam in the 80s, this guy, Mark Smith, and the idea that he created Slam when really it was there to sort of consolidate package. And so there was a real refusal to say, hey, look, this guy invented it, and more, more to say this guy figured out a way to make it, it accessible and maybe exploited it. Uh, mm-hmm. But he still brought a lot of joy to, to a lot of people and a lot of challenge to a lot of people.
0: What was the documentary that you mentioned that people might want to look it up if they're interested in this at all?
1: Sure, it's Slam Nation. It was about the 1996 National Poetry Slam in Portland, Oregon. And that's where you'll see Saul Williams, who is a artist underneath uh, Trent Reznor's label nowadays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll also see Taylor Molly, who's a personal uh, a, f- a friend and mentor of mine, and uh, a lot of other folks that are on there that are just unbelievably cool, and it really stands up.
0: Now, how did Jesse parent you? Yep. Uh, get into this. What I know of your background, you come from a a, a family of of tattooed bar fighters. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, somewhere in the east, right? Yeah, yeah. They're,
1: they're, that's that's a pretty good synopsis. Uh, where where I came from, I was the white sheep of the family. My uncle would also often say, "I'm going to the nice prison," and uh, <laughs> you'll
0: be going to the nice prison. Yeah. So so uh,
1: I was taught to tattoo by my biological father, uh, my my adopted father, who I know as my dad. He mm-hmm. is a mechanic. My mom was a nurse and then an AIDS counselor and then a tattoo artist. My brother was a piercer and a tattoo artist, and I put myself through college doing it. And then I moved out to Utah and thought there was probably nothing but Deserted Mormons out here and found out there is a ton more. There's a lot of culture out here. Got into improv comedy, which I had started in college and started to do improv theater in sort of experimental ways and tried to figure out how could I do musical improv in a way that didn't involve musicians, because that was a lot of effort. <laughs> and I watched this HBO show called Deaf Poetry, hosted by Most Deaf, <laughs> and I saw this group called Floetry, where two women were perfectly intertwining music and poetry together, and it just looked so beautiful. And I tried to figure out, how could I mathematically copy that so that I could replicate that in an improvisational way? And we formed this group called The Hook and the hook started to get good in salt lake and we started to tour and go to chicago and seattle and new york and i was made an artistic associate of the chicago improv festival because of you know this was something that they'd never seen before and i said well what can i do next so i started to write down which was very scary to me because i'm not a writer uh write down some of the things i could remember from improvised poems and start to compete at local poetry slams Made the national team for Salt Lake City in 2006. Travelled to Austin, and then my whole world opened up. I saw this is what it could be. This is not just my idea, but like look at what everybody's doing to push the art, to innovate, and it just became very inspirational because it was so theatrical. Bill, I mean, like I come from a theater background, and it was so beautiful <laughs> to see people using theater in that way. And now you do have your more narr- like your your poets that are more literate. Uh, but I really enjoyed the, the, the spectacle of theater of it and that's what really kind of keyed me into it.
0: Now, you, are Are you? Are you? I haven't talked to you about this for a while. Are you still involved that as heavily as you were in doing this?
1: You know, I've taken a step back since the collapse of the national poetry scene back in 2018 and now it's starting to rebuild. I, we're, tr- we're trying to keep it going uh, locally where we h- still have our monthly, the last Monday of the month, Poetry Slams at the Wasatch Theater Company. Right now, we, we've c- sort of consolidated and simplified, and we'll have our finals that will actually pick a new national team that will go to Dallas, Texas uh, this summer, and we're going to have that at Athena Coffee House on April 13th.
0: Where's that, Athena uh, Coffee House? You
1: know, it's right on 90th South. Uh, right next to the liquor store and the Ocean Mart and Club 90. Oh yeah, uh, yeah that that area. So so they they took over that area. The guy who owns it, he is a big member of the ACLU in Utah, mm. and had us out to private events. And he built that coffee shop with us in mind. Mm. So it's actually a huge event center too. The the upstairs is magnificent. It's beautiful. It's it's kind of tucked away though. Now you say you do place.
0: you do these once a week? Are they once a m- month? Once a month. Once a month. At that at the Athena Coffee Shop?
1: No no. Mm. We do them at the Wasatch Theater Company Where's on the that? Gateway. The gateway. Uh, so right between, like, Wise Guys and the Planetarium on 400 West, mm-hmm. there's a little black box theater that Wasatch Theater Company Oh, yeah, runs. yeah.
0: I've seen something there. Yeah. I saw that uh, place where you had to go in the individual doors. What, yep. was,
1: what was that called? It's called The Box, and, and well— yeah. They, they do have doors, and it's, it's pretty close to the parking garage. It yeah. ironically is also where Laughing Stock, the improv comedy group that I perform weekly with, moved to after the Off Broadway theater got shut down on 300 South and Maine. Hmm.
0: Uh, so we've been so we talk about this, and people can come and see this on a monthly basis. Yes, and last Monday of the month, yeah. Last Monday of the month, and is there a website people can find out where make sure more find out more about it?
1: Yeah, w- if you look up Wasatch, Wasatch Wordsmiths. On Facebook, we have a pretty active group there, and we keep our events pretty current.
0: Mm -hmm. So, so we, so we've been talking about this. Uh, Now, I think maybe we ought to hear something. Okay. Um, You, I don't know. You can do whatever you want. I remember uh, specifically, you came to our studio once and did the. You, you did a, a. a spoken word poem that got pretty famous. It went yeah. viral on the internet, and
1: yeah, to the boys who may one day date my daughter was the name of that poem. Yeah,
0: do you do you remember that one specifically? I, I do,
1: but I have a follow up to that that I want to do. Okay. And uh, bec- uh, because the poem the poem ends, the last two lines of that poem are uh, to the girls who may one day date my daughter. My wife is a better shot than I am because I don't want to repeat the poem, but I want to but I want to take this trope of the overprotective father and kind of turn it on its ear, and. Uh, My daughter ended up uh, dating a young woman uh, who was closeted, and that became a real problem for me. So I I sort of just wrote down a poem about it.
0: It it became a problem. Well, I was going to say it became a problem for you in what way, but maybe the poem will explain that. Yeah, yeah. let's, Let's go ahead and do it. All right.
1: My daughter tells me she wants to start dating, and I shrug. She tells me the name of her girlfriend, and I shrug again. She tells me I need to be careful because her girlfriend's parents don't know that she's gay. And I pause. She tells me it's because her girlfriend's parents are religious, and I want to say, well, so am I, or that shouldn't matter. But I have to admit, while religion doesn't always build the closet door, it does tend to supply the lumber to plane it straight. After all, Jesus was a carpenter's son, knows the many uses of wood, how to hang plumb and I have reached the point of parental dilemma where I need to be honest with this girlfriend's parents, but she just needs to survive. My daughter praying to cross timber on an atheist rosary that when she opens the door, her girlfriend will be where she left her alive and well hidden under a heap of clothes that her parents bought for her. And I live a thousand lifetimes in this decade of Hail Marys where my daughter does not get to go to the prom because her girlfriend has to go with a boy, where my daughter is referred to as an aunt or a special friend, where my daughter is dressed dragged behind someone else's closet door applying another layer of lacquer and varnish until she blurs a little more every day so when I meet this girlfriend's parents, I smile like a stack of toothpicks, shake their hand to feel for calluses and splinters, but I choose their daughter's survival over the truth and I say a prayer. A silent vow that I will take every door in my own home and feed it through a wood chipper so my daughter falls in love with the smell of sawdust.
0: Yeah. There you go. We should... um, Talk about um, uh, the process that goes into that. I mean, it's obvious that it's uh, based on Real life experience
1: uh, it, and, and it really comes down to that emotional threshold. I read about my family and religion quite a bit, and for me there was I, I had to kind of process this with a lot of friends and say, you know what is this like when you're a father of an openly queer youth and the people that they're dating or interacting with can't be openly mm-hmm. queer? because their parents would ostracize them, kick them out, punish them for who they are. You know, a lot of the, the, the youth homeless population in Salt Lake is based on the fact that you've got a lot of kids growing up in religious households that live lifestyles outside of that uh, that, that, that moral norm that their family is uh, has mm-hmm. and, and end up on the streets. So I don't want to be a danger to these kids, but I, I really feel, you know, my, my daughter went to a, a date which was to the other parents a friend's sleepover and then uh came back with a hickey and i was like that is super not okay and and she said well why you you always told us that we shouldn't care about what other people think i said that's not the point you went in without one of those and then you came back with one and that that girl's parents are going to notice that Mm -hmm. and you put her in danger like real danger and I started to think about how I don't want my daughter to live closeted. I wanted her to be as open as possible. And that's when I started to like, seeping into this metaphor about the door and the lumber and, mm-hmm. and going back to Jesus, which is like a default for me.
0: Yeah, and I was surprised to hear you talk about um, religion in there and that, that you apparently have some. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know that about you, and it kind of surprises me. Well, not that I think you're some kind of sinful heathen or anything. Really but really is. Thank <laughs>
1: you. Uh, I, I actually almost became a Catholic priest. I was going to go to seminary, and I hmm. uh, took four years of Latin in high school, which uh, gave me a great vocabulary <laughs> and the ability to cast spells. That's wonderful. But ultimately, I decided that that wasn't the path that I wanted to go on. I, I was in the Knights of Columbus. and wow. And uh, I decided that the Catholic faith was not something that was answering all the things that I needed to. And now I, I actually help organize at an Episcopal church. I sit on their vestry, their board. Catholic my, light, as yeah, they Catholic say. Yeah, Catholic light, as you say. Um, yeah. my, my rector is, is gay. Yeah. Uh, my son runs the food bank there uh, well, in partnership with the Utah Food Bank. Mm-hmm. And so we are very service-oriented, and that really appeals to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and In fact, I'm actually giving a sermon this Sunday uh, that is a slam poem.
0: I had no idea though, about this part of your life. Well,
1: you know, I'm not—I'm an open book, but you know, you have to look at the appendix sometimes.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't wear—you, you, why wear that on your sleeve, as they say? It's—it's um, your—it's your private thing, and you yeah, talk I, about it when it's necessary.
1: Although I, I do like to invite my Facebook friends to come and volunteer at our food bank because we do a restocking every uh, Saturday before the food bank, and the food bank at St. James Episcopal in Midvale uh, is run the second and fourth Sundays of the month. So if you are food insecure or want to help people, who are food insecure, please come and help us out.
0: So let's talk about the aspect of, um, uh, now you're, you're obviously um, okay with your daughter's decisions. Um, I, I assume you had to cl- clear this with her before you ever, ever would recite that poem or even commit it to paper.
1: Yeah, actually that, that was a, a long process and, and they were the first person to hear that and uh, we had a long cry over it mm. and then uh, they also uh, showed the poem to the person it was about <laughs> mm. that ultimately they, they they aren't dating anymore mm. uh and they also loved it uh mm. the, the the uh the girlfriend so uh but after clearing it with both of them
0: yeah i that's, mean that's
1: when i went because yeah. i didn't want to put this person in danger you
0: have you know when I, every once in a while I'll, something will happen in my life and i'll say to my daughter who you know um oh Uh, Without before, I used to just do it. Now I say, "Do you mind if I talk about this on the radio tomorrow?" Right, right. Uh, And usually she'll go, "No, you can't." Usually she'll say, "I don't see where it's interesting at all." You know, there's nothing interesting about it. Why do you want to talk about it? And and I say, well, you don't see anything interesting, but I do, and that's my job is to right. <laughs> make it interesting, right? And I, and I really admire that
1: about you, because you always keep that certain layer of anonymity and respect. And I've always I've seen that throughout your career, and even in this interview, you've been very careful about not naming your poet neighbor.
0: Actually, yeah, I did mention my wife's first name though, which is kind of I don't do that very often, even.
1: Yeah, and and I I, I respect that because being in a public space. You know there's a lot of danger there there's like, to your be. family yeah i mean the uh, the youtube comments alone on the to the boys uh video mm-hmm. you know it's got like four and a half million hits but the the, the poem
0: that precluded yeah. or that that went before this one
1: yeah that, that, that and but a lot of the comments are just a mire and and muck of people just being angry um, I had a guy in Belgium challenge me to a fight, and I was like, well, can I stay with you? Um, you know, <laughs> I'll come <laughs> over and stay with you, yeah, and then yeah. sure. Um, but uh, when I went, went on to uh, uh, World Star Hip Hop, I didn't even look at the comments there. That was just trash. But, oh. yeah, it's it's trying to keep that level of anonymity but still share your life in a way that um, is you. Is mm-hmm. really, um, I really like that about
0: you. Uh, so um, uh, have, it, have you... Uh put this poem out there as a sequel to the other one? and I,
1: I have, and it's interesting the comments are usually like, wait a minute, isn't this to the boys guy? Oh, irony. And I'm like, well, not really if you look at the last two lines of mm-hmm. uh, the other poem. But it, it's it's funny to have the amount of positive experiences that I've had with that poem and folks who, especially in the queer community, really seem to latch onto it as, as uh, you know, this is complicated. This is something that we don't really talk about. Mm-hmm. And the idea of being a parent of queer children and particularly when your
0: last name is parent quite Mm -hmm. uh yeah so (laughs) um
1: yeah it's 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 a it's it's been really positive much more positive than i would have thought honestly uh
0: so uh, the the process of doing that poem uh did I, i assume you had to just write all that down for you you do it from memory you don't you don't have to read the text No, Um. uh,
1: and but it's like any script, right? You memorize something enough, and you you showed that off earlier with with a poem that you didn't even write, uh, the the Ferlinghetti poem. But it's it's one of those things where you're trying to craft it for memorization too. I I use a lot of performance as a memory tool as Mm -hmm, well. mm -hmm. So when I move, I I I try to use my choreography to tell me, oh yeah, this word's next, and why is my hand like this? Oh yeah, because I'm holding a cup, and the cup is the metaphor, and this is the line. Mm -hmm. So uh, you start to use that whole the whole piece in your whole body as a performance tool
0: um you uh i don't know how many poems you've done in your in your life do you uh I, as far as written or read uh, or, pre- or performed rather written
1: um you know I've, i probably a few dozen are, how, they, how are about that are they anywhere uh yes in fact i have a collection of poems it's uh, about a 100-page book uh, that's quite old. It's about 10 years old now. It's called The Noise That Is Not You. And uh, I wrote that for Greenhouse Effect Coffee uh, open mic when people would just leave after they were done. And I'm like, okay, how about you come on in? Uh, there's there's a few other places, but mostly on YouTube, if you search my name, Jesse Parent, uh, I get published on both Button Poetry and Write About No Poetry quite a bit.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and people will be able to see you perform as well, right?
1: Exactly, yeah. You, you'll get the, the full sonic value of it.
0: Yeah, you can't. You have an imposing voice when you want to use it. Uh, I appreciate that. I mean, like right now, you're just kind of being. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being man. nice. Yeah yeah, 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 talking about, uh, but yeah, you can be uh, quite quite imposing if you want to be. I, I p- want, appreciate that.
2: Don't don't want any of the patrons to choke on their broccoli. Heroes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also see me at jessieparent.com. It's j e s s e p a r e n t tcom com, and then you can find out a lot more about me and also buy my stuff.
0: Uh, you, you have other merch?
1: I do. I have a few ebooks. Mm. that i converted a lot of times poets will do what are called chapter books or chat books Mm -hmm. and i know you're you're pretty familiar with those Mm -hmm. but they end up being eight and a half by eleven folded in half books and i said well why don't i just turn these into pdfs and sell them for five dollars a piece sure and uh that actually works out pretty well for me and which is great because i'm on the about the fifth printing of to the noise that is not you and i don't know if i'm gonna go out and contact my publisher and ask them to do another run Mm -hmm. uh, because it's just i don't know it's a bit of a pain selling your own book um, maybe maybe next time I'll go through Amazon or something mm.
0: um, so what about um, somebody like my daughter who doesn't know poetry who doesn't want and, and, and I mean she's a, she's in high school and I think it's just a, like you don't you really don't know anything about poetry although to to her teacher's credit I guess this is an attempt to get my daughter and and her uh, her friends to to, write, to know about poetry by writing it, but it seems to me you have to have examples to go by and I don't think she's ever really read any, which is surprising because I have it all over the house, but you sort of don't think about it. Right. So so how do you, do you encur- if people want to write poetry, how would you encourage them to do that?
1: Uh, there, there's a few different resources. YouTube has just so much and Button Poetry does a great job of collecting a lot of it classroom safe poetry so mm. that teachers can use that as a resource and not get in trouble in places like utah and idaho and <laughs> other places uh there's also right about now poetry a few other channels that are on youtube um instagram has become a real interesting haven uh for uh instagram poets very short form types of things mm-hmm. uh that that's really been fascinating actually to, to watch, and uh, I think Tumblr's kind of like seen its days, yeah. but, but honestly, it, it just becomes a matter of starting to watch poems, read a few things that you like, maybe something short. And then figuring out what you like and what do you like about that and using that to create your own voice. And sometimes copying someone else's voice is the best way to find your own. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, oh, wait a minute, I don't really, I, I like 90% of what this person does, but this 10%, I, I'm going to
0: shed that. And then all of a sudden you start peeling it away, peeling it away, and like you have your own voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I told my daughter, I, I forget wh- what she said, well, what aspect of modern culture she wanted to, okay, I'll write a poem about this and I forget, forget what it was even. And, but she said, but I still don't know how to do it. And I said, well, just sit down with a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing any words that come into your mind about that topic. Just anything that you could, that just, and she started writing and she, pretty soon she'd filled up a whole page and I started re- reading over, sometimes it was just words and then sometimes it was three or four word phrases mm-hmm. or sentences and some of them were quite poetic
1: that's really you cool know? That's you know cool. and
0: i said look see you just wrote a poem right there you yeah. wrote poetry that's what that is right there
1: yeah yeah and it, it's uh it, i often refer to myself as a a monologist that fools people into thinking I do poems because I really I really do write a very narrative structure. I like yep. three act structures. I like they that you know building up denouement kind of stuff and and uh, I believe what you're doing is exactly right. It's create that narrative and start to flower it up afterwards or look for something maybe by doing an erasure of the thing that you wrote yeah. and saying like pick out the f- pick out the. F- maybe two phrases that you love out of this whole paragraph and or this see how page. you can
0: hang them together
1: right and then use that as the seed yeah. for something else I love that That's yeah. a, I'm going to steal that as a writing exercise yeah that's
0: I don't know it just came to me that that would be a way to a painless way to kind of do it just yeah. say it doesn't matter what you write down just start writing down words which she did, and then to me, that sort of pay- and I think she kind of got it. And she, you know, I said, now you can just take some of these things and and hang them together, and you'll come up with a poem.
1: That's that's dope. I love that idea. And it doesn't
0: have to be very long. It doesn't. Yeah. You know, poems can be two lines. They can be well, three lines. And you know, haiku has proved that you don't. Know, they don't have to be long.
1: Yeah, and haiku are great because it's a very. It's it's like when you're a novelist and you want to write a short story because you know you can finish it. Mm-hmm. A haiku, you can something you can finish, and it, it's also very efficient. If you can learn how to write haiku, then you realize what the efficiency of language looks like. And if you can get an idea, you know, it's the same thing with like six word stories. Yeah. Uh, Those like real condensation of ideas. And then all of a sudden you've got something that you can really build on.
0: I'm going to do one more poem and then I want you to do one more if you can think of one. Okay. Okay. So this one, I don't, write. I I mean, I write poetry, but I, I, but this was not written by me. Um, This I did uh, when I, uh, my wife and I got married and uh, it was my wedding vow to her. I didn't write it. Uh, a long dead romantic poet named Lee Hunt did and the poem is Jenny kissed me when we met rising from the chair she sat in time you thief who loves to get sweets into your list put that in say I am weary say that I am sad say that health and wealth have missed me say that I am growing old but add Jenny kissed me perfect poem perfect damn it's just perfect when people can make language do that
2: I swore you were going to start out with "There once was a man from Nantucket," and we were going to be in trouble. <laughs> well, I
0: like those two. I mean, it doesn't have to be a limerick. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: what I would imagine, you know, what would really be really fun is to like take dirty limericks, like the first line, and then like you just do a long form poem that is not a limerick. After yeah, that, "There like, uh, once was a man from Nantucket, They're so lonely, it. such a sad man, a lighthouse I'm on the hill."
0: <laughs>
2: I'm begging you, please do <laughs> do this. it. Please. Do it. Water crashing. There was around. an old hermit named Dave. know about the man from yeah. Nantucket. That's yeah.
0: all. I'm there was an old hermit named Dave. It was very sad in that cave he lived
2: in. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't uh, wait to get to the part where you're uh, yelling at the audience too. Like, do you fucking know who
0: this man is? <laughs> the, the,
1: the sad tale of the man from Nantucket <laughs> and yep. why he's so lonely.
0: <laughs> the man from Grass, who had these had a really bad condition <laughs> with his testicles. They were made out. of, his balls were made out of brass it was Uh, always my favorite i'm
2: i'm sorry to derail because that was very touching what you just did and i totally but like i I was getting all teary and my defense mechanism is i better say something stupid to like make sure i don't ball no it's it's,
0: no it was perfect i was beautiful see i can't even get through poems anymore poems that i love reading them aloud i can't get through them without choking up yeah. because I like them so much and they've met, meant so much to me over, over the years of over my life. You know, I can read new poetry and then and every once in a while I'll read something new that go, I'll go, oh, and I'll go back and read it again and I start tearing up, you know. I, I really think that poetry is the closest thing you can
1: do to emotional painting. And I think that's why is because because it is such mm-hmm. a distillation, and that you are using such a, a, an incredible amount of emotion and thought and care. It, it's it conjures up. It's like it's like a sm- it's like smelling something and thinking of your grandmother's house. It's just something
0: that mm-hmm. just triggers in your brain in a way
1: that um, music can do that regular yeah. prose can't.
0: And it's and again it's also uh, sometimes I, I just I choke up because it's so perfect. It's just my God, how did he think of that or she think of that?
2: I'm I'm to the so I'm gonna jump in just to say um, I'm a programmer by trade so I look at a lot of code right? Yeah me too. That's that's what Jesse does right, so you get it and and it's I liked what you said about the efficiency of the language in poetry Mm -hmm. because as a programmer I mean you know that that's the name of the game you can't have excess code because if you do it won't run or it won't compile Mm -hmm. so you've got to you have to be very purposeful and direct with what you put in that code or it won't run Mm -hmm. I mean and so to me the comparison is you you have a stream of consciousnesses in your head just saying stuff all day long. And when you decide to be very purposeful in your direction of that mm-hmm. stream, mm-hmm. it really can come and be very mm-hmm. emotionally painting. Yeah. So, so, so to uh,
1: to to go off the programmer speak, uh, if if you are a computer scientist, what you're striving for is uh, not a exponential big O notation, but a logarithmic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Th- if, if anybody gets that, yeah. No, I don't know what, log- You know I, what he's. Talking I liked
2: about. it, and I, w- I was going to tell you, I'm working on a logo for um, something completely different but it's it's just the shirt's going to be console.log and it's a ren and stimpy parody so anyway All I right. appreciated your uh, jo- yeah thanks I'm sure you guys yes. know what you're
1: downstairs I'm sure you guys know what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> nerds so, so so just just as a uh, housekeeping thing can, is it okay to swear on this podcast yeah All right. Mm -hmm. So in that case, uh, speaking of emotional poems, I guess the poem I'll do is the latest poem that I did about my wife. And it was a poem that uh, it was there was a there was a period of time where I just couldn't write because I was just angry, emotional. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, it was during when my wife was going through breast cancer. Mm. And uh, this was one of the only things I was able to write about that. After my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. I took out a shirt that had been folded for months, fallow and dusty in my closet, and I pulled out a long chestnut brown hair from a jagged seam. See, my wife has always had long hair. That waist-length librarian straight loomed down her back. She was feast and I famine. Our friends would often say that her long hair was what defined her along with her smile. When my wife found out her tumor was malignant, she called it her asshole, which shocked our church friends. She said she wanted her asshole removed, which confused the proctologist, but she embraced pruning as a means of growth, survival. When we had to tell our children that my wife had breast cancer, My eldest son held it together, made it into math. My daughter shattered like a slipped and soapy plate. But the youngest, the eight-year-old, went silent, as sleep, eyes wide and wet. And in a voice, like Jesus, young and in the temple wise, he asked his mother, Will you survive? And I broke, an oak giving up to the storm. But my wife, she weathered and replied, I'll try. No promise, just An exercise of will behind a wet smile, and she fights like only she can. Takes on chemotherapy in a pink feather boa with a fuck cancer shirt on, tells the oncologist to hollow her out, to ball her like a melon, and she will fight to stay the greenest rind. To plane her straight, take every lump and soft part of her. She will be so much woman without it. Vows to be bald and breastless, but still alive. Hallelujah, still breathing, evicting this asshole from her body. And I remember all of this as I look at that long brown hair I have excavated from my shirt from a time when cancer was something other people got when assholes were things that simply shit and governed Indiana and I hold that thin strand over the trash can and I let go and I go downstairs to cuddle With my wife on the couch and she manages a smile that is weak but still her, still there, still the part that always mattered. And when we put our bald heads together, it kind of looks like a butt. (laughs) Except
0: there is no asshole. Yep, there you go. I think we could just kind of let it go at that. <laughs> Let's leave it there. Um, Jesse Parent, JesseParent dot com. Uh, and you can find everything there, including stuff about Wasatch uh, wordsmiths. Yeah, Wasatch wordsmiths and all of that. JesseParent com, and it's parent like as in your mom or your dad, your parent.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Some we'll have you back sometime. We'll talk about whiskey. Yes, so we like we like bourbon a lot, both of us. And, yeah, and uh, Jesse knows a lot about bourbon.
1: Now I do. I've, uh, <laughs> in the past couple of years, I've been a student of it.
0: Boy, that cancer episode sure made me a real student of whiskey. Uh, yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> Uh, that's it for this uh, edition. Thanks again for being here, Jesse. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Uh, it's uh, the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, thank you to Dick Clark for producing the show. He's about to turn over uh, producing duties uh, to another musical-sounding uh, person, Dave Clark from the Dave Clark Five. That old, no, it's this. It's the it's uh, the senior Clark. Uh, is going to take over producing duties here coming up. Uh, thanks to Ryan Lauder here uh, at The uh, the Daily, 222 South Main, for always letting us set up and disrupt his business a little bit while we do this. And uh, that's it. I'm Bill Allred. Remember, if you're pouring drinks, always make mine a double.